Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm really thrilled to be joined once again by a great former guest and the editor who edits me at his publication, The Editorial Board, which I have to say is it's not search engine optimal. John Storr, you've had a long career in journalism. You've written and edited for many august publications, but now you are flagshipping, helming your own thing. I write and contribute to the editorial board. The only knock I have on your publication is that if people out there Google the editorial board, you're going to get like 20 hits mm. before you get John Store. That's S-T-O-E-H-R. And I'm spelling that because I want people to do that. Check out the editorial board. John, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Well, it's always uh, delightful. You know, we were saying right before we got on the air that one of the things that I really like about the writing that I find at the editorial board and your writing and your Twitter threads, which I super appreciate because if, if what they make me feel great because they're longer than mine um, <laughs> and I am not known for brevity. So um, what I really appreciate about them is that there are layers embedded in each one are ideas where I go, oh, I agree with that. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And then there are layers where I'm like, nah, I don't agree with that. That's, that's, that's no, 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 no. And then the next point is like, oh, but that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I don't agree with it, but I'm, I appreciate that I thought about it that way. Do you, are you going at items like, the first thing we we're going to talk about today is the recall election in San Francisco by a margin of 60% to 40%. San Francisco voters recalled their district attorney, Chesa Budin, um, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong. And you, you you wrote a piece about it. You did a long and very interesting Twitter thread about this. So when you set out to write about something like this, are you trying to be provocative? Are you throwing stuff out that even you don't necessarily fully agree with? Um, or are you, you know, is it is it like just kind of bursting with ideas? Or no, you're 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 fully bought into your entire argument. It's <laughs> so funny you're asking me this. Um, I, 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 I believe what I'm writing. Yes. Um, I, do I have confidence in some of the arguments I make? That's really the <laughs> question. And, um, you know, you do go out, you do, you find yourself going out on a limb sometimes. Um, and then once you put it out there, you realize, oh, the, I'm not so far out on the limb as I thought. Mm. Um, I think writing, uh, going back to my uh, writing workshop days, writing is a, is a process of discovery. Um, and I think um, being a citizen is also a process of discovery. Uh, and so when I do a piece of writing, I start with an idea and that idea often evolves into other ideas. Um, I also think a good piece of writing will have multiple layers as, as you describe. Um, I think most of most pundits are one-dimensional. Right. You know, they have the the thesis, and then they have they like they like pile on a mountain of data to substantiate that thesis. And I, I'm just so tired of. I don't want data. I want thinking. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Well, it, it can be a little lazy, right? You can just. Mm -hmm. it, it especially bothers me as I've written for you. <laughs> I, I I don't like it when pundits lazily rely on polling as mm. if it is sort of the Thor's hammer of argumentation. It's like, well, I found it in a poll. So 
that proves my point. Let's let's unpack your your Chase Abudin argument for a second because I think it's a great example of all of this. What what's sort of the core of what you're saying here? Sure. So the the argument against him was that he was not or that the okay. So first of all, uh, he fits into a national narrative that the Washington press corps wants to talk about, and that is the backlash against Democrats having control of Washington, right? That's, so he fits into this. Now the particulars of his case are uh, sanded over quite a bit. Uh, the, apparently the particulars are that just San Franciscans didn't like him. They liked his policies, but they just didn't like him. And uh, it turns out that he was, um, he won by a super narrow margin. And the fact he didn't have a competitor, he was only kind of competing with people who were trying to recall him. So, you know, all this stuff. So, but that didn't fit. That doesn't fit into the national narrative. So that's that's the that's my focus is the how he fits into the national narrative, and so that that narrative is really about how uh, reformers and progressives and so on uh, who are trying to change and improve the criminal justice system are experiencing a, back, a backlash, right? And uh, they're soft on crime. That that's what it comes down to. So the, 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 the conclusion is that if you're a liberal, you're soft on crime, right? Or if you're a progressive, you're soft on crime. Well, in, in that accusation is another layer and that is the word crime. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean actual illegal acts that should be prosecuted and deterred in the future? Or does it mean something that's unacceptable? Now, actual illegal acts can be unacceptable, right? Uh, uh, and unacceptable things can be outlawed in the future, but they, they are not necessarily the same thing. Um, and then I take the argument and put it in the stream of history. Uh, the politics we're experiencing right now is, I believe, a reaction to liberal democracy. Liberal democracy produced a white sorry, excuse me, a black president for the first time. Mm. Liberal democracy also uh, produced a very brief window in which uh, actual reforming of police departments seemed possible. And that period I'm talking about was after George Floyd was murdered by a white cop. And the, that uh, brief window uh, of liberal democracy uh, culminated in Joe Biden's winning coalition that was the biggest in American history. And so after he took power, then that was the beginning of the backlash against all those political gains made after George Floyd's murder. Right. Well, what I really appreciated about it was I am as susceptible as well, everyone else except you, I think, to look, I, I, I read a lot. Um, and I try, I really try. And longtime listeners know this. This is why I do the great ideas show. And I have conservatives on. I really try to understand and listen to and, and, and benefit from different perspectives than my own, different ideologies than my own. And so, you know, I, I am as susceptible as just about anyone else to this idea of, all right, here's, here's the story here. There was this brief window. And there was this focus for a while on, we have to do something about policing. 
And then there was the inevitable backlash, and it was abetted by some clumsy, ham-fisted messaging from advocates. Defund the police was not the greatest slogan in the history of sloganeering. Granted, let's stipulate that. And so it, it, it is very easy to kind of connect the dots there and say, well, when you see a more conservative Mike Bloomberg type you know, win the, the ostensibly, we, it looks like he's winning the LA mayoral race, the recall of the three school board members in San Francisco, and then this Chase Abudin recall, it's, it's fairly easy to connect the dots there as the National Press Corps is doing and say, Democrats don't like all of this. But what you're pointing out is, well, hold on a second. At least this is what I took from it. Mm -hmm. Well, hold on a second. Let's, let's remember a few things. First of all, public opinion is thermostatic. There's always a backlash, right? So just because there's a backlash doesn't mean that the initial movement was in the wrong direction. It means that human nature in a democracy is human nature. Mm -hmm. Second of all, let's not forget that these backlashes are, there's like a pump going on. And that pump is Fox News and right-wing media that have been having, I don't know, what could we call it, like a pressgasm over defund the police. And they've been intentionally pumping this story that, oh boy, Democrats, so, so dumb, you know, so horrible. And look, now they're reaping what they sowed. And what, you're, what, what I took from your piece is, okay, Chase Abun may have become an avatar of what Democrats were becoming uncomfortable with. But it was, it was a caricature from, from the get-go and one that was not really connected to the reality of what most Democrats wanted. So in a way, we're now kind of going back and sort of doing a performative act of democracy and saying, oh, no, no, we're not crazy woke progressives. Look, we, we burned this one at the stake. We burned that one at the stake. See, we're, we're, no witches here. <laughs> I know, as if that makes any difference. Uh, the, the, I think um, you have to think about um, from a from the right winger's point of view. What does the law mean, and what does crime mean? Um, for, you have to remember, for most of our history in the United States, really up until. Uh, 60, 1964, arguably up until yesterday, um, the, the meaning of law enforcement really meant the enforcement of white power. So when, so police departments, when they would enforce the law, they were really enforcing white power. Um, and the, if you are somebody who's using free speech um, rights of assembly, the co your constitutional rights to affect change in some way, affecting the status quo, the white power status quo. If you're trying to really change things, then you're not just a, dis a dissident, right? You're not just a critic. You, you, you're starting to become a criminal in the, in the, from the right-wing point of view. Because if you're, if you're pro-democracy, pro-liberal democracy, that means you're in favor of political forces that flatten the hierarchy, the racial hierarchy, or as I like to call it, the natural order of things uh, from this right-wing perspective. And that natural order of things is with white people on top, white men on top, and then white women and then everybody else after that. Um, and 
presumably God is at the top of all that, but that's debatable. And if you are uh, threatening this, this hierarchy, this or, these orders of power, then you, you are an enemy to white power and enemies of white power must be punished. All right, that, that's, that's really, really what the, the, my piece is about is the meaning of crime and also my question is, do white liberals who, who predominate in a place like San Francisco, do they know the difference between actual illegal acts, which we should all agree are, um, you know, we don't like them, and things that are unacceptable, like the crime uh, of, of challenging white power? You know, do they know the difference? And my conclusion is that with enough money from enough, uh, enough billionaires in the world that white liberals can be conned into thinking they're one and the same thing. And it's, so they should get rid of their so-called progressive. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting <clears throat> because the, the, the piece that I really want to think about, and look, this is a good thing that I'm thinking about this, right? It's mm -hmm. like the, the famous scene in Inherit the Wind where the, the kid is up on the stand and he's being pressed on evolution. And then the Clarence Darrow stand in, whatever they call the character and Inherit the Wind says, well, what do you, do you believe it? You know, the and the kid says, I have to think about it. And the lawyer says, well, good for you. And that's really <laughs> the point of the articles that, that you produce and that you edit yeah. as part of the editorial board is yeah. I've got to think about this one, because to me, your argument clearly has merit. It, it's it's but I'm not sure which way the flow of reasoning should go. Mm. I agree that there is a conservative instinct that we're seeing on display here and that definitely runs as a thread through America, a fear of change, a fear of moving away from the established order and the status quo and the power structures that exist. I also agree with you that for throughout our history, that power structure has equated to white people on top. Mm -hmm. What I'm not sure that I, I make the final link to is that ipso facto, that is now the motivation, because the, the pushback from Republicans would be, I'm not motivated by white power per se. Boy, I can't even say the white, the phrase white. This is the brilliance of Dave Chappelle. I can't mm -hmm. say the phrase white power without thinking of who is his character? Um, Bigham's the black white supremacist. Anyway, I, <laughs> I, but I'm not sure that that final step holds up because they would say, look, we're not we're not trying to uphold white power per se. We do agree with the proposition that too much change too fast is, is something we're not comfortable with and we'll work with you. But, you know, like, let's not. And yes, we want to maintain political power. But if you mistake that, if you accuse us in our attempt to maintain political power with all we're really about is white supremacy, then you're actually playing our game. You're feeding into our game because now we're aggrieved. Now we're insulted. Now you're calling us deplorables. So keep doing it because now we feel, you know, this kind of internal backlash. And so it, I, I don't know, is, is, is any of my hesitation about your argument, does any of that resonate with you? Um, I, I think that is, is a very Yes, it resonates. Um, the uh, I think that white liberals give too much 
uh, of the benefit of the doubt to those people who say I'm conservative and I want slow change. Mm. Uh, they don't mean that. I think people who want slow change are actually quite liberal. Uh, and conservatives are uh, really right-wingers in disguise. They're true. They're right-wingers are not reasonable. They're not rational. They, and they will kill themselves to, to make a point. And, and, they, and they know that does not work in a democracy where, you, where the majority needs to be persuaded to do this or that. And so they, they, they swaddle themselves in the uh, reasonableness of a conservative who wants slow change. If conservatives were really sl wanted slow change, uh, they would have accepted Barack Obama as a legitimate president, and they did not. They would have they would have accepted him as a president, as the result of a free, fair, uh, legal presidential process. Uh, they might have said, "We hate this outcome, but we respect the process." because we are all in, all in the end, we're all small D Democrats, right? We're all Americans. That's what they would have done. Uh, they, they, if they were the party of law and order, they would have accepted uh, the fact that police need to be reformed uh, because people, too many people are dying. And we, need, and we, have, a, we have an imperative as citizens to uh, protect our fellow citizens from violence, um, uh, but they didn't do that either. And the reason they didn't do that is because from these people's perspectives, police departments are operating exactly the way they should be. Uh, the, the fact that George Floyd died is not uh, a symptom of, of a bad policing. It is the reason for, for the policing. Um, that he died, well, he deserved it. And why did he deserve it? Because he was black. I mean, that, that, that's really what it comes down to. Police departments, I, and I hate to say this because I, I really do honor those who serve. Uh, they are the last line of defense for right-wingers. Uh, they are the last line of defense against liberal democracy. Um, because that's where, when, it, when politics fails, when lawsuits fail, they can always rely on hard power to prevent liberal democracy from getting out of hand. But in a way, I, I wonder about the irony of an attempt to reform policing and prosecution and criminal justice via democratic means. Because one of the things that I struggle with and I've been struggling with a lot recently is this question of, well, we're a democracy, kind of. We're really a republic, kind of. And so your point is, hey, look, there's been a longstanding existing power structure and people who have power want to keep that power. And that doesn't work out so well in a republic, right? The, the, so the solution for that is more democracy, a flattening of power. On the other hand, an issue like police reform is so susceptible, as the framers worried, it's so susceptible to being demagogued, to the kind of thing that we just saw in the Boudin recall, right? Where it's so easy to take a fear, a public fear of crime and a misunderstanding of what's actually going on and turn it around, it turns into a recall. In a way, the reformers can only be 
the elites were insulated mm -hmm. from some of that public opinion backlash. One of the reasons, by the way, that so many of you are hearing this podcast, we've actually grown really uh, strongly in, in, in recent months. Um, you know, we, we have great reach on, on WKXL radio. We had great reach on podcast. We've grown even, even broader and it's in no small part because of Twitter, which I feel I'm, I'm kind of ambiguous about We'll talk about that a little bit, but a, a prolific Twitterer and a, a major presence on Twitter is, is John Storr. And, and you take a lot of your commentary there. And we were just talking about this, this point you were raising about democracy and the, the need in a liberal democracy to have a, a kind of a flattening of power. And the, the objection that I was raising is there are so many issues that are so easily demagogued where people, for example, look at this boot and recall. You wrote in your article about it. You, you included a statistic that I had not seen before, which is that violent crime has gone down under Chesa Putin. And so if the concern that was ostensibly the surface concern of voters there is, oh, you're letting crime get out of control with all your woke progressive reforms. Well, that's not, that's not true. That's not, right. that's not what's actually happening. But it, it goes to show that you can have these, these kind of voter backlashes, these excesses of runaway kind of public opinion, not tied to fact. You can have witch hunts. Look, we're subject to that in this country. We, we have a history of that. And, you know, frankly, mob justice has not worked out for the very people that we're most concerned about here. So I wonder if the curative is more flattening of power and more democracy, or is the cure here more of a republic? It's you need to have people who are somewhat insulated from those waves of public opinion, making the kinds of reforms that we're trying to make here with smarter prosecution, smarter policing. What do you make of that? Well, I think to, every kind of reform has happened as a result of a minority of people deciding to do something uh, that needs to be done, right? And and they and they do it through uh, the democratic process, or um, they do it through uh, freedom of speech, uh, just raising hell in some some way. I, I I am a very big skeptic of democracy in that democracy does not lead to very good outcomes. Sometimes, most people most of the time have no idea what's going on, and a lot of those people have, don't want to know what's going on. Um, uh, really, we've, you just take a look at uh, the difference between last month, or, uh, two months ago, and now. Two months ago, we were all very concerned about democracy in Ukraine and that country being getting beat up by a larger country. And what are we thinking about now? Gas prices. So, right. um, you know, the, the, uh, the people are fickle. <laughs> that's, that's a description. That's not a judgment. The people are fickle. Uh, and they will give you an opinion today that they heard yesterday. Um, uh, you asked me earlier about my intention about getting people to think on their own. Yes, I want people to think on their own. They have the capability. They can do it. If they just open their eyes, they can come to their own moral conclusions. So you uh, like it when, when readers like me, because I, I both... You know, I feel like the, the president of the Hair Club for Men, it's like, I'm also a member. You know, it's like, I, I contribute to the editorial board and I also read the editorial board. So you're cool with my reaction to your writing being, 
I like that. Hmm, I got to think about that one. No, no, nope, nope, no, don't agree with that. Right. That's, that's, that's good. That's what you're going for. Yeah. And, you know, with feedback, you know, writers can get themselves into, you know, writers spend a lot of time by themselves, as you know. <laughs> yes, I, so, I do. So you can kind of start living in your own bubble and without, without constructive feedback. Um, well, even unconstructive feedback. Uh, without that feedback, you, you, you need a, a reality check. So even like even hate mail is is good because then you feel like ah I really hit something, you know I really got it, um, and then constructive feedback like yours is like okay you know I probably should word this a little bit differently or maybe my argument wasn't as sound as I thought you know that kind of thing the 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 current pundit this is somewhat getting off the topic but the current pundit core uh, is very much um, in the business of selling conventional wisdom. In the shiny new package, and um, the the in that really the result that's the result of that is a a, a, a sameness. The, you can all, almost hardly tell any difference between pundits sometimes, um, or you can literally predict what they're going to say, and that very few of them surprise you. Um, so I do, I do try hard at the editorial board to give people the tools by which they can come to their own conclusions, even if they hate what I'm saying. Just picking up on the theme for a second about some of this ambivalence about our, our, our mechanisms in our democracy, in our republic, and the outcomes that can be produced. One of the problems we have is that it is relatively easy to game the system. How do I know this? Mm -hmm. Because we see the system being gamed all the time. Only one time from, since 1996 have Republicans represented a majority of Americans. Right. And yet many times they've held the majority in the U.S. Senate. So mm -hmm. our, our structures themselves are apt to be manipulated. And mm -hmm. nowhere is that more true than in what we've seen in recent weeks, which other contributors and previous guests on Beyond Politics, Mia Brett and Noah Berlatsky, have been writing about extensively for you. And I've been profiling a great deal on this show, including with uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, who really laid this all out for us. The right wing takeover of the Supreme Court is sort of a case in point. The What we're seeing in the Dobbs decision, what I think we're going to see in upcoming gun decisions is a very radical right-wing position about the Constitution, about policy. It will, it will create an outcome that is at odds with even the majority of Republicans. It is the end result of a 50-year engineering project that is about to unleash a whole bunch of intended consequences on America, and a whole bunch of unintended consequences, because as many legal experts have said, you know, once they get going on this, they're they're waving the landing lights for other crazy right wing decisions from this court. And so mm. I, I, I guess I want to put to you based on the writing of Mia and Noah and you and, the, you know, my shows, which you've been helping to promote as well. I mean, is there an answer? Is there how how extreme do Democrats need to get now to try to confront this 
this assault on our system that's that's being expressed through this takeover of the judiciary. Well, I, yeah, what do Dems need to do? So first of all, I would say that um, don't put too much credence in what people say the majority wants because mm. the majority can be can be moved. True, true, you know? true, true. And and uh, the, the what's really important is getting a, a, a cohesive group of people. And I would say somebody somebody like Stacey Abrams, think, think of her, she's the organizer down in Georgia. She represents, I think, the model liberal activist. Mm. People like her, they are the people who are going to, to represent democracy. The majority does, of, of the American people do not represent democracy. <laughs> and and we, we fool ourselves into thinking that. So always, always take any poll with a grain of salt. I understand people want, want uh, for instance, I'll give you the for instance, uh, the USA Today came out with a poll yesterday saying mo even most Republicans want gun reform. Well, guess what? That poll was taken on the weekend of the Uvalde massacre. Yeah. You know? take the same poll to three months later, they're gonna just go right back to wherever they came from. So you'd be very careful about, you know, well, the majority wants this. And so therefore the, the, the Supreme Court's gonna be out of step now. The, the Supreme Court's get, going to make a decision and then the majority will probably follow. That's what's really scary, mm. you know. Um, now, and that, so that's why, you know, they're going to make decisions like disenfranchise women. I mean, they're going to basically revoke the social status of women, period. And um, that is uh, going to be just fine with a lot of women because they buy into their, uh, their given roles as women. And they, or they understand like if they're going, like, if you can't beat them, join them. Right. It's and, like a Stockholm syndrome. Yep. Yeah. And there's also, there's going to be women who will never accept that. Right, it's right. Those, it's those women who will never accept it. They're the ones who will be uh, fighting for democracy in the future. Um, in, ter in terms of you know what the Democrats should do, I think we're in a period of transition, and uh, for a lot of reasons, that one of the transitions is the Democrats. Um, first of all, they live in the present, and the present is uncertain. So anybody who says they know what the Democrats would do are out of their minds. They're not, nobody knows what the Democrats should do. The Democrats are basically moving forward in the dark uh, and, and all their, their five senses are muted. They're just trying to figure out which way to go. So right now they're like, well, in the past we had to skim off a few of the, of the, of the racists from, from the uh, Republican side by being super reasonable, right? And never saying anything about uh, you know, women's rights or, or civil rights, just stay away from all that stuff and just talk about the economy, right? And so you could, you could they could skim a few people like that and then they could put together a winning coalition. So, so right now they're like, okay, I'm just going to sound reasonable. I'm never going to accuse uh, Mitch McConnell of leading an insurgency. I'm never going to do that. I'm going to say he's a reasonable person. This is what Biden said last night. And he says what he means. <laughs> McConnell has never said anything that he means. No. Um, so, um, so you're going to be super reasonable. So at some point, I don't know when, but we're, Democrats are going to stop doing that. They're going to start saying, yeah, the problem is Republicans are going to war with democracy. We stand for democracy. 
and they do not now vote for us. You know, now the, even if they do that, there's a problem. Uh, a lot of, of the Democratic critics think they should do that, and then then the majority will see what what they should choose. Well, a lot of these liberal critics don't understand that so many Americans could give a you know what about democracy. They don't care. Democracy is messy. It's in, inefficient. It's ugly. It's in, it's inconvenient. You know, I can I can buy something from Amazon and it's here tomorrow. If I go to my local city council and ask for something, it could take months. And and frankly, that's the way it is in in this country. We are very business efficient minded when it comes to the uh, moral, morality of citizenship. We're kind of eh. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the sideshow Bob line from The Simpsons, which is, you know, deep down, Americans just want Republicans to punish criminals, lower your taxes and rule you like a king. Yes. And, you know, I, I mean, as, as usual, they, they do kind of nail it. Well, you mm -hmm. know, this is kind of a real time experiment because um, I have no idea what you're about to say. I just I just wrote an article in which I lay out, hey, look, Democrats. If you want to do something bold, there's an option open to you right now. And there are some, some serious constitutional scholars who are behind this, like big names who really think that this is doable, it's real, and it would have an immediate effect. And I, I lay out the argument that both legally and politically, this is the way to go. And I submitted it to you yesterday. I have no idea, first of all, what you're going to say about it. Second of all, I... I think I reflect sort of the id of the Democratic Party in this, in that the way I wrote it is mostly, hey, this is, there's a really strong case here, but I just withheld that final little bit where I say, mm -hmm. you should absolutely do this, stop <laughs> messing around, do it, because there's just that tiny bit of hesitation of like, am I ready? Am I ready to really push all the chips into the center of the table? And by the way, because I've been holding this out on our listeners, what I'm arguing for is, Democrats could deem the equal rights amendment to the constitution that you thought was dead back when you studied this in civics class, they could deem it as enacted right now. I'm not kidding. This is a doable thing. The question is, do they have the gumption to do it? So, I, I mean, let me just put it to you uh, without, without putting you on the spot about what you think about the article. I don't what want to do you, scoop, scoop yeah, the don't, don't, board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't scoop it. Don't scoop it. But but people should look out for that. But is that the kind of thing that it's time to consider is really bold moves where you, you kind of go all... I'll give you another one. I'm going to give you a two-parter, sure. okay? Right as we got on the air, I am about to prepare a tweet about our last show. We had the constitutional scholar Kimberly Whaley, former CBS News legal analyst, who made a really compelling case in Politico magazine that the evidence exists to indict Donald Trump right now. And if you don't do it, you're, you're waving in future waves of criminality from the White House. So you got to do it right this instant. And, you know, a lot, there's a lot of hand wringing, including for me. I'm not sure that I fully agree, but is that the kind of thing that it's time for these, these two ideas? Well, I will say, you know, I, I mentioned the Democrats are in this transition period. Um, when, it, most people under a certain age do not remember Ronald Reagan. Uh, you and I remember Ronald Reagan, and that was an ass kicking. Uh, he, just for people who don't know, in 1980, he won every state except two, 
I think Minnesota and Massachusetts, right? I think. And, yeah. In Washington, DC in the next 1984, he won every state except uh, won every every state except Minnesota and Washington, DC. Anyway, uh, somebody can fact check me on that, but it was an enormous ass kicking. <laughs> and and Democrats learned to be risk averse. Right. Like just right. like deep down on the, in the molecular level, like do not take a risk, always seem reasonable, do not have uh, debates based on liberal virtue. Don't ever do that because you'll lose. Now, now we may, I think we, maybe we're moving into another period where you can, you can re be rewarded for that by the base uh, of the Democratic Party. And I think something like the ERA the Equal Rights Amendment is uh, a good example of dangling that out in front of the base, right? And saying, this could happen, right? This could happen, but we need you to come out. You know, you can't just stay at home, right? Let's do it. And that I think that would be fairly, um, th th there's risk um, in the, because there's always going to be a blowback. Uh, but I think if you assess it, the blowback wouldn't be as uh, harmful as the as how helpful the base would be. Mm. Uh, would can the same be said about the indictment of Donald Trump? I don't know. I, I again, we're all living in the present, and the present is nothing but uncertainty. <laughs> yes, right, right, right. <laughs> or know, like Yoda said, always in motion is the future. And oh, uh, yes, right. Yes. You know, it's it's tricky. And the, and the past is re is written by the future. Right. Um, so right. in. And uh, we always think we understand the past. We, we do understand the past more because we're seeing it from the position of the future. Um, but the past used to be a present. Sorry to get all philosophical. The past used to be a present, and it was also equally uncertain at that. No, point. we're this so, close. We're this close to a spaceballs routine. It's like, <laughs> where are we going to see this now? When now? Like now? Now? So, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the analogy that I nearly put into my draft for you was a poker analogy. I took it out because I just didn't, I wasn't sure it would resonate and I, I wasn't sure that it mm -hmm. went in line with the seriousness of the topic. But in poker, when someone makes a wager against you, when they're aggressive, basically, your options are you could fold, you can call, or you can raise. Now, the knock on Democrats is we always fold. I'm not sure that's always true, but yeah. that's the knock on us, right? Mm -hmm. At most, we call. But Something like, hey, we're deeming the ERNA as enacted right now because that's what the Constitution says. That's what Justice Alito argued. You do the plain language of the Constitution. So we're there. So boom, it's enacted. That's a raise. Mm -hmm. That's raising the stakes. And what you find in poker is you have got to have a, an iron set of pick your reproductive organs. You have got to, you have got to really have chutzpah. <laughs> To, to do that see your dog agrees you've got it you've got to go all in on stuff like this and sometimes you will lose spectacularly but often it's the only way to win so i, I think the hesitation here is that 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 is real like you know mm -hmm. you do you pick one of these moves wrong and it can boomerang on you spectacularly mm -hmm. yeah and it depends on how much you want to lose in, in the how much are you willing to lose too? Um, mm. I, I'm thinking of Barry Goldwater actually. Um, right. Barry, Gold, Barry Goldwater was a very conservative, right, well, right-wing senator from Arizona who ran for the presidency in 1964 and lost, uh, that was another landslide. Lyndon Baines Johnson beat him by 
uh, a ton. And um, from his, uh, this is the way their story goes anyway, from the ashes of Goldwater's campaign came the uh, movement, the conservative movement that put Ronald Reagan in the White House. He lost spectacularly uh, because he was in, just did not, was not risk averse, right? He loved risk. He was like, he was like, I'm all in, right? I'm going to, he was an adrenaline junkie, you could say, like he was just ready to go. And that did not pay off in 64, but it did later on because people, so many people learned from 1964, mm. right? Mm. They built on that loss. So yeah. it took a couple decades, but eventually they got there. You know, again, how much is the Democratic Party willing to lose now to gain a Reagan-like ascendance a couple decades from now? That's you know, interesting. Almost all of them would say two decades from now does not exist. <laughs> right. Well, not when what's staring you in the face yes, is right. the end of American democracy as we right. know it in 2024 with the return of he who shall not be named. Um, you know, I want to, I, I teased a few minutes ago, the idea of talking just for a moment about social media. And I want to do that because you're really good at it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not great at it. I got to admit. And maybe it's, it's partly because I don't have the want to, I, I think social media is the devil. I, I I'm not gonna, I, no, no two bones about it, but I, I have to admit, first of all, I want everyone to follow me. I'm at Matt L. Robeson on Twitter. And I, the reason I want people to follow me is I don't just create this content writing and, you know, being on WKXL radio and putting out this podcast. I don't just do it for my health mm -hmm. because, you know, I want to have a conversation with people mm -hmm. and I want to, I, I want to be involved in the way I was when I was a congressional staffer in the direction we're going as a country. And this stuff really matters to me. And the way to do it right now is social media. And in politics, it's, it's largely Twitter. And so I'm ambivalent about it. I, I mm. want the follows. I, I do. But I, I don't like engaging in all of it. How are you feeling about it? Because your entire enterprise of the editorial board is built around more thoughtful discussion in a world of BS, in a world <laughs> of media BS, of, of sameness. And and that's what social media is, is it's sort of a, it's a virality and attention getting and, and you know, like what's clickable machine. I, I, do you feel that same ambivalence? Well, Twitter giveth and Twitter taketh. Um, you know, and the, the, I think the key to anybody who wants, who feels the same as you, that, that this is, this is a, a potentially wonderful, uh, uh, democratic platform for debate and and, and, and and they're right. I think the secret is block. <laughs> block. I'm not, I'm not kidding. When yeah. I first started doing Twitter, I thought, oh, if I block somebody, that means I'm like, uh, you know, just cutting them off. They really ought to have their say, etc. No. And you can understand, you can, un you can see BS pretty clearly, you know, once you start to get the hang of it. And once you see it, block. I, I preemptively block people. Like if they're commenting on somebody who's commenting on me, I block them. <laughs> that's that's spectacular. Know, I just, and, and, and honestly, you, this is not just my opinion either. This is opinion of people who have larger platforms than I do. They will say it's, it's absolutely the way to do it because if you let people who are toxic in, it drives away two other people 
Oh, that's interesting. For, for you know, to who really want to have an, a, a conversation, a, a real exchange, a real oh, that's exchange. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and then, so you really have to think of it that way. You're, 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 you're. It's in the interest of freedom of speech to block people. That's who, that's such a delicious irony. I just want to pause on that. It's it's like yeah. you're. It, I'm not sure if it's like Zen or Orwellian or <laughs> we should make a portmanteau of like Orzenian or something. Hey, look. On that note, we do have to wrap this show, but I want people to follow John Store, John L. Store, I believe, at John L. Store. John A. John A. Darn it. (laughs) You know, that's a sign that my eyes are going. John A. Store on Twitter. And I'm at Matt L. Robeson. And of course, subscribe to the editorial board and to be on politics. John, thanks so much for being on. Thanks again, Matt. It It was my pleasure.